When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. I am Chris and I am I am here alone, but not quite alone. I have got Monty Lord with me and he is here today to talk to us about his upcoming book on obscure British laws and customs. Uh, Monty, as I was reading through his uh, bio to come up with the, the author thing, I felt really, really bad about what 17-year-old Chris was doing because, dude, you've done a lot <laughs> for, for 17 years old. It's amazing. But is it five Guinness world, world Records you hold? Yeah, it's five at the moment. I was aiming to do a sixth one, but I've, I've had to put it on hold because I've got my exams. So hopefully in the summer, the sixth one's on the way. Oh, wow. What's it, what's it for? Well, the next one was going to be for uh, the most translated, uh, like, short film. It's, like, all different languages. Uh, so I'd already got, like, half of the translations done. But I just need to sort of find people who are able to translate the more, like, out there languages, the ones that aren't really commonly spoken. I'm trying to get mm. literally as many as possible. I don't, the, the current record is quite low, I believe. It's, like, 11, 12, or 13. I want to sort of get into 60s. Or just... Yeah, that, that, that'd be, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, 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 nothing I say can do that, do, do do justice. But you've got a Wikipedia entry, so uh, I mean, my my daughter said to me that you know you've made it when you've got a Wikipedia entry. So, uh. <laughs> funnily enough, about the Wikipedia entry, I mean, none of my friends like found out about it until actually I think we were like searching my name up uh, on the computers in college, and it just came up at the top of the screen, and I hadn't properly seen it either before. Because I wasn't really like aware it was there. I'm not sure who made it. Uh, Obviously, I've added a few details to it now, like date of birth <laughs> and things like that. Because I didn't want just like people adding random things in. But yeah, people can change the like they can change facts, and I'm really worried it's going to happen. I'm like checking it every day now, making sure no one's like said I'm like convicted of any crimes or anything. <laughs> well, it's, Wikipedia, um, it's not like it used to be. I mean, you've got to you've got to actually put. Um contest things you've got to put evidence in these days before you could put like i don't know nadine doris eats hamsters and people would be like, oh right, really but now you've got to, you can contest it or you have to put as see independent 14th of march 2012 allegedly eats hamsters <laughs> i haven't got any money don't sue me uh, <laughs> but talking of money I should have known this because anyone who, who spends more than five minutes talking to me who knows that I have a, I've gone through a pretty nasty divorce. 
Is it true that you used to be able to sell your wife? Because I heard this the other day and I thought, wow, if that had been a solution three years ago. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it is actually quite true. And it was, it was quite commonplace for a pretty long time, like a, a good chunk of the, the last millennium. Um, and you actually find people still try and do it today. Uh, in 2016, mm-hmm. a man called Simon O'Kane from Wakefield uh, tried to sell his wife on eBay. Uh, with many people like bidding and things like that. And someone actually bid £65,888 for it uh, before eBay. Unfortunately, took it down, always spoiling fun. But yeah, there was there was a couple of reasons why people would do it. It was sort of like, mainly if there were quarrels, or often it could actually be the wife's lover, and they'd sort of arranged a sale beforehand. And a big public sale was almost just for like a, a public demonstration to show it's like, it's, it's an accepted sale almost. Um, I mean... Wives used to be quite costly as well. It wasn't a cheap affair, or there are occasions where it has been. I'll get into that in a second. Um, but in 1865, one wife was sold for £100, quite a lot of money back then, plus £25 for each of the children she had. So she had two children. So I'm assuming it would have been £150 she was bought for, uh, which I'm not entirely sure of like the exchange rate now and then, but I'm assuming that's nearing about £100,000, £150,000, which... Obviously, it's quite a lot for a human being, uh, although I'm not sure. I'm not like into human trafficking, so I couldn't <laughs> tell you how much a human costs. The reason it's, it's illegal now. So unfortunately, you can't sell your wife anymore, uh, but you were you were able to in the past. And like I was, I was going to say it then, um, there have been occasions where a few people have sold their wives for not a great amount of money. There was one gentleman in the 1700s who actually sold his wife for half a pint of gin. So... <laughs> really very much. I don't know. Sometimes you just need some gin, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, because your book's sort of made up of loads of different obscure laws and things, I'm going to sort of bounce around all over the place. And so I'm this one. Uh, this one has been one of my favourite stories for such a long time. The execution of the monkey for spying. Yes. I, be- I want to say it was in Portsmouth, but I, I also hear it's also up in Liverpool. I, I, I never really read the facts beyond the fact that. They execute um, my favorite part of the story being that they they said that the monkey was a Frenchman and they summoned an expert from London to interrogate it. And he said, I don't recognize the dialect of French, but it's definitely a Frenchman. And then they executed the monkey. That was yeah. in Hartlepool. I think that was it was at the height of the Napoleonic Wars. So I think there'd been a ship that had sailed past the ship had been shipwrecked and the only survivor was a monkey somehow. And they just assumed that the monkey had to be French. I think the main part of it was how aggressive he was, uh, how hairy the monkey was, was a big factor. And um, it must be French. <laughs> yeah, speaking French as well, which, well, I say French. What do monkeys, what sound do monkeys even make? I don't know how to describe it without actually doing the sound. But, um, yeah, I don't really want to do the sound. <laughs> exactly, I don't want to be, I don't want to be doing the sound. Um, but yeah, that was, I think the monkey was then hanged. Um, and the first record actually on paper of the hanging of the monkey uh, was in a song which had a few explicit lyrics to say about the people of Hartlepool. Um, interestingly enough, the, the the mascot of the Hartlepool football team is called Hangus the Monkey, and oh, Hangus wow. the Monkey was actually elected mayor of Hartlepool for about a good 10 years straight in the 2000s until they had a referendum to get rid of sort of like the the office of mayor I mean, clearly they didn't think very highly of it in the first place, but yeah, um, interesting bit of history there. 
Um, oh, it's just fantastic. But you get executions and you get other animals being tried for crimes as well in, in Britain. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that was mainly done in the First World War. I mean, there were lots of tensions and paranoia and that kind of thing. And you can't really blame them at the time. Uh, they had lots of pigeons. Lots of pigeons were arrested and held for like war crimes. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was mainly on sort of the German side. Um, mm. Cats and dogs also. There's a famous story from the, that was released in the National Archives um, about 20, 30, 50 years after the war, uh, which was, uh, there was like a group of British soldiers in the trenches and they kept seeing two cats and one dog go over the trench every night. And for some reason, they thought it was the Germans had done something to sort of like, I'm not sure, like get cats and dogs to report on the British trenches. So I don't know what I don't I'm not sure what they were thinking of, uh, but they it's the phrasing of the actual like release from the archives is that we've set entrapments for the cats and dogs. Uh, there was no further news as to whether they actually did trap the cats and dogs, but I just always find that one interesting. Uh, there's also in 1861 a gamecock was arrested and uh, held for trial. It killed a 19-month-old little girl called Mary Tuckett, I think her name was. Um, mm. Basically, just plucked her to death. And then over the next few days, she kept bleeding, and I think she got an abscess in her brain, and she ended up dying, which is obviously unfortunate, quite sad. Um, and it went to the coroner's, like the coroner's court. And they they were just sort of like, oh, we don't really know what to do with this. Uh, so the young boy who actually owned Gamecock, um, his mother was just sort of like, we're going to kill the Gamecock in public. That was sort of like a big public execution of an animal. They're horrific wow. crimes. Yeah, didn't they hang an elephant once? I don't think it was in Britain, but they 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 hanged an elephant once. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't put it past anyone from history. Whereabouts was that? Do you know? Cause I don't think it was in Britain. I want to say it was in India, but this might have been something I've heard. I pick up all kinds of pointless information. I mean, it's probably why I'm doing doing what I'm doing. I, I love why I love doing what I'm doing. I pick up so much random information. I'm fairly certain somewhere they because they had to use a crane to do it, and it was. I, I don't know at what point anyone would think. You know what we need to do is execute that elephant. How would they even? <laughs> they must have some strong rope or cables to do that. I don't know. I'll Google it while we're talking. But uh, <laughs> but we've also beyond animals. We also get boats that are boats that are arrested for manslaughter. Yes, yes. This is one of the favourites of my book for me. Anyway, um, it's quite a short like excerpt from the book, but uh, it only really applies to a few Scottish islands because I think it's mainly been outlawed for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, but I believe the law is if. A person gets like shipwrecked or they fall off a boat or they drown from a certain boat, and that boat is then like charged with manslaughter and it's left out to dry on the thing and left to rot in the sunlight uh, and you can never use the boat again. It also implied it, it applied to um swords back in the Anglo Saxons time. If a if a person had killed another person with a sword in like a war, let's say, then they weren't able to sell or use that sword again until it had been like purified it was believed that if someone had like bought it and um, then the sword would bring bad luck for them or some kind of harm i guess that's sort of like a, a another kind of charge on an in- inanimate object i guess yeah 
Yeah. I mean, as I do naval history, there there are boats and, and ships that are somewhat bad luck. Say, well, we're all um, superstitious lot. There are some that just have the worst track record. So I can understand, like, you know what? No one's going to see in that. The Mary Celeste, for example, um, her, everyone remembers the famous case of, you know, the crew disappearing, but it wasn't, uh, she had went through like three captains who died mysteriously. And there was another case where I think she sank and then they fished her out. And it's, it's just the ship is something, there's bad juju with that ship. You just don't want, so I can understand the whole, now the ship's not good. We'll just leave it to rot and we'll, we'll just build another one. <laughs> I think manslaughter okay. is for it, though. I mean, at least it's well, not yeah. yeah, I mean, there's the, this ship's unlucky, and then there's let's charge this tr- ship with a crime. <laughs> so on on history hack, we have a number of people that we cannot stand, and I'm going to talk. We're gonna, I'm actually going to talk. Mention two of them today. One of them is the great Henry VIII. So what did Henry Henry VIII do to debase his currency? Well, I'm sure you'll know. He lived a very lavish lifestyle, uh, funding many wars in. Scotland and France, and so he ended up bankrupting uh, the nation. So at the time, there was two main sort of coins and things that were used. It was silver and gold, uh, and he just simply decided to reduce the silver and gold content, uh, especially for the silver silver coins. What he'd end up doing is making like copper coins and putting like a thin thin layer of sort of like a silver paint over them. I think it's the only way I can describe it. Obviously, this paint from the 1500s is not very good, so it rubs off on everyone's coins. Um, and it was particularly rubbing off around his nose, which actually earned him the name Old Copper Nose. Um, ah. Yeah. And so people obviously were able to tell that they were being sort of defrauded and that their currency wasn't actually worth what they were being told it was worth. And so they would keep all their good coins from before he'd started meddling in the coin production and give like the bad ones out to people they're buying from. So eventually everyone was just hoarding the good one for home and just, it basically became worthless, the currency. And uh, other European like powers at the time, they stopped respecting the English currency. And many of the English people stopped respecting the monarchy at that time as well. Um, fortunately, when sort of Queen Mary came into, into play, she decided to put it back to its rightful silver and gold percentage in the actual coins. I think it had gone down from... Uh, 90% to 17% silver content in each coin, wow. which is just like, I can't <laughs> managed to get away with that. I'm not sure. That's impressive. <laughs> which leads me on a quick, slight side quest. Uh, this was, uh, this was in, in, in the book. Um, I found this out when I was, actually I was your age. I went into uh, Paddockwood railway station and I wanted to get a single back to my village. And I had a pocket full of two peas and one piece. And uh, the guy looked at me and went, that's not legal tender. And I went, what are you talking about? It's British coining. So would you mind explaining it? Because I, 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 got, I had to phone my granddad up and ask him, what the hell is this? And he, he explained it all to me then. So uh, would you like, because I'm sure no one else realises this, how much of how many of what denomination is legal tender? I mean, it depends on each coin. Uh, I think it's, to be fair, not many people actually adhere to it. I mean, like if you go into Tesco and give them 101 Ps, they're not really going to be like, go away. Uh, <laughs> I guess in like sort of local corner shops they might do, but I think they've got the facilities for it at Tesco. Um, essentially, it all boils down to when you go to a, like someone at a till, 
and you say, I want to buy this bar of chocolate. You're the one making the offer and then they can then reject the offer. So they can reject you. You could have the right amount of tender and they could still reject you. Uh, but there's a piece of legislation that limits the actual amount, like each amount of coin that you can use in the same mm. transaction. So I think it is uh, 50 to 100 one Ps. Uh, you can't use more than 50 to 100 in, in one sort of sitting, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the guy at Paddockwood Station was not happy. <laughs> How many one Ps did you try and give him? I, can't, I cannot remember. Um, it was my first, I just started my first job and um, I hadn't been paid. So I only had like the pocket money I had at home. And I used to pick up two peas and one peas in the street. And so I had a money box full of it. So I just like poured it all into my pocket, into my, this is how long ago, into my bum bag. <laughs> so I just wandered off to work and then came back, went, Boosh, like, I need a ticket, please. And started counting it out on the desk. Um, yeah, he just looked at me and went, that's not legal tender. I'm not taking it. Um, and I said, well, I'm catching this track. It, it, it all devolved eventually. But, <laughs> but um, also, you can, is it true that you can get, it was considered treason if you damaged any of the, any, the monarch's face on the coin? Yeah, I think defacing, defacing a banknote, or I assume coin comes under it as well. And I, I, it's still a crime now. I don't think you can go around and like, or a moustache on on whoever's on the on the the currency but i don't think that's more to do with the monarch i think it's just more to do with like damaging 10 pound notes i'm not i'm not sure it's got like royal intent behind it yeah yeah but i'm sure that's probably the original intent yeah and now it's more of a practical thing of why are you doing yeah. this to 10 pound notes <laughs> like shading them all in black it's like yeah it's a 50 pound note that one <laughs> I'm pretty sure at some point in my in my life I've seen someone try to ch- turn a ten pound into a twenty pound note. It's like, mate, you've written twenty on it. That doesn't make it a twenty pound note. <laughs> well, I, well, I work at the um, I work at the local cinema, and some guy came in once, and I don't know what he handed me. It wasn't English or Scottish like money. I think I think it was like Indonesian, and he was like, "Is this okay?" I was just sort of like. I don't think it is because it was like a thousand, like a thousand whatever Indonesian thing. And obviously I've absolutely no idea what the exchange rate is. So he could be handing me like one P or he could be handing me something that requires like 50 pounds change. I was just sort of like, we, we don't take that kind of money. Yeah. He was like, oh, never mind. And he just walked off. Like, But he bought like a whole hot dog as well. So I had to bin a hot dog, which got me in trouble. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it's not your fault if he's not got the money at the end of it. Yeah. The weird, weirdest one I had, um, we had a, um, someone came in and they bought, they used, they paid for something for £5 sterling. Unfortunately, the £5 sterling note was from the 1980s because it had Wellington on the back of it. And I remember that from when I was a kid. And But the shop staff we had at the time weren't English. So they looked at the note. They... It had the watermark. It said pound sterling, Bank of England. So she took it, and uh, my manager looked at it. And went, I haven't seen one of these in like twenty five years. <laughs> oh, well, we, we had to change thing, it, unfortunately. But. Similar thing happened to me. Uh, obviously, I'm seventeen, so I'm still like learning to drive. Um, I'd taken cash out to pay my driving instructor, and I get I get back in the car like next like the next lesson, 
And he was like, you gave me a, you gave me a fake £10 note. Apparently, the cash machine I'd gone to had given me like a fake, a fake £10 note. And luckily, he got around it. I'm not sure. I think that, like he realised after he'd given it to the people in the post office. I don't know what he was giving them to the post office for. I think he was just paying for something. Um, but I think he'd realised afterwards and went back and gave them their actual 10. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know how to sort of distinguish between one from like 20 years ago or whether, like, I know you can check if they're fake, but if I'm getting it out of a cash machine, I'm not exactly getting it up on the line and going like that. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's like walking out the bank, checking yeah. each note. <laughs> they go straight away. Yeah. Pocket and I'm, yeah. <laughs> Definitely around where I live. Um, talking about robbery, Oliver Cromwell, another great thief. Yes. And he wants to steal Christmas. He I mean, um, Charlie, Charlie White and I dislike Cromwell, um, both for obvious reasons for Charlie. So I'm sure she will fully appreciate some Cromwell bashing. So go for it. Why did he try to steal Christmas? Well, he didn't actually hate Christmas itself. It was more sort of the festivities surrounding Christmas. Uh, and it was the same for Easter and any other sort of like religious things. He he thought there should be days of fasting and humility. Um, and so he ordered, he ordered many things, mainly, mainly to take down any decorations, uh, no feasts. He made shops remain open on Christmas Day. I mean, imagine going to Tesco and buying something on Christmas Day. He just wouldn't be able to do it. Um, yeah. Soldiers would patrol the streets and sort of like take down any decorations. And there was actually big, big public backlash at the time, uh, resulting in many riots in places like London, Ipswich, Canterbury, literally all over the country. None of them were organised like, like we would today online. People just absolutely hated these laws and you know, quite quite rightfully so. I mean, he's trying to get rid of Christmas. Everyone loves Christmas. Yeah. Um, I think in London specifically, uh, they were all protesting around the fountain uh, and they all started dropping like decorations or what the decorations would have been at the time, which was holly and ivy and mistletoe and things just like into the fountain, which I think pretty sure that was a drinking water. So I don't get what, uh, what they were doing there, but I mean, whatever floats their boat really at the end of the day. Um but there were multiple deaths as well with these riots. They were quite, they were awful riots. People really wanted their Christmas. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was banned for the whole time. He was, he was, I mean, what was he? Was he ruler? He wasn't king. He was. No, he was the, um, damn it. I do know this. I mean, basically dictator. Yeah. Slash fun, fun sponge. Lord protector. That, that was it. The one. Lord, Lord protector of the realm. It's well with gray, gray brain cells to take over yeah. you. <laughs> Oh god. It's getting worse as I'm getting older as well. Yeah. <laughs> Exam stress getting to me. I can't even remember his name. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so the other problem other big problem I have in my life is that I am a long suffering Gillingham fan. And there are probably weekends where it would be better for us if if the if football was still illegal. But was it ever really illegal for was it um it's like in the Middle Ages, wasn't it? Supposedly for to stop people from getting away from the longbow practice or something. Yes. Was it cricket, exactly. cricket and um, football? Cricket and football. Um, well, I'll go on to cricket first because that was that. That's the national. It's the national sport of England. Uh, although I'd argue it's debatable now. I'd I'd say it's probably football now. But I think technically, I thought it was queuing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think officially. I don't know who's who's made it official. 
But cricket is the official sport of England. Um, but it was made illegal multiple times. Um, Edward IV in 1477 banned a game called Hand In, Hand Out, uh, which at the time basically was cricket. Um, and if you were found playing cricket, it was two years in prison and a £10 fine. And if you were found playing cricket on the King's Land, it was a three years imprisonment. So it was quite, how I many was it? Quite like Absolutely. a kind of thing, yeah. Um, and uh, people thought it was going to get banned again once uh, one of the princes of Wales, I think it was Frederick Louis, I think his name was, he died playing cricket uh, because a cricket ball had hit his chest. And I think he, he must have just oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Um, so there was a big debate at the time about whether that was going to be sort of made illegal then. Uh, George II also made it illegal in 17, 1700s with the Unlawful Games Act, uh, but it was made legal again in 1748 by just like the courts. I think they just decided it was like, it's good for the community, that kind of thing. Uh, in yeah. terms of football, football's also had a tumultuous history. 1314, it was banned by Edward II just in the city of London because he wanted people to practice their longbow. And also it was viewed as like a, it was like damaging and it was bad for the, the public morale, that kind of thing. Uh, like, yeah. Bad for public morale. <laughs> yeah. It depends where you live. Depends where you live. In Manchester, we, you know, I'm a United fan. Not been good morale for the past sort of like 10 years. It's all right this season. Yeah, City fans. To be fair, there's not many United fans in Manchester. <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They're all down in London. Um, <laughs> I can say yeah, I'm a United fan. I'm allowed to say that. Um, yeah. yeah. 1349, Edward II's son, Edward III, uh, made it a national ban. To ensure it was only archery that people were practicing. And then in 1388, uh, Richard II banned servants and laborers uh, as they just wanted them to practice archery, which I'm not sure why the original law didn't apply to them, but I'm, I'm, that's not, it's not up to me, is it? Um, 1477, Edward IV banned it again. So they just keep banning it. I'm not sure if there was like repeals of it in the middle of these, but it's all to practice archery. Uh, and then it was made legal in 1618 by James I, uh, and he released his Declaration of Sports, which actually encouraged Christians to play football on sort of like Sunday afternoons. That was, mm. I think, uh, that probably would have been rolled out by Cromwell's Sunday Observance Act, I'd imagine. Yeah, 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 I can imagine, yeah, because that, that would involve having fun uh, on, exactly, on, yeah, on the too much fun. 
Yeah. Obviously, he wasn't a Gillingham fan either, because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be fan <laughs> fun. <laughs> but were they? Did they actually arrest and um, try people for this? For, for like the cricket for the for going to jail for three years? Were they actually? Did they actually send someone to prison for that? I mean, they're, they're probably limited records because it was like the fourteen hundreds or whatever. But I, I assume so. Um, I mean, it was quite it was quite popular at the time. I think it was the most popular game up until like the nineteen hundreds when the football became really prominent. But yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I imagine it was people were getting arrested for it. I think two years and a ten pound fine, which ten pounds in the thirteen hundreds or fourteen. A lot of money. And that's probably I don't, again. I couldn't say like a modern day type thing, but I imagine it's like hundred thousand plus. Yeah, it's not what you're going to find down the back of the sofa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's a bit harsh that well, I imagine people were prosecuted. Okay, this one sounds a bit weird. How legal is it for you to drive around with a corpse in your car if you're not an undertaker? I suddenly thought yeah. that. If you're not an undertaker, because clearly you're going to have a corpse in the back of your car if you're an undertaker. The average person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, presuming you've not killed them and you're like transporting them to like a burial place. Um, yeah, it's perfectly legal to just sort of have a dead body in your car as long, and this is important, as long as it's not obstructing the coroner's work. Um, and it's also a common myth that you have to pay a fee when you're transporting a dead body over like borders. So if you're driving between England and Wales, you have to pay a fee. That's completely false. Uh, you don't mm. have to do that. Uh, you can literally just drive your dead aunt like all over the country. And there's actually also no time limit on sort of when you have to bury them or like, <laughs> when you have to take them out of your car. So in theory... You could drive around for like two weeks straight with like four dead relatives in the back, like a bit of like a family reunion type thing. Um, and some weekend at Bernie's, everyone's sort of strapped in wearing sunglasses yeah. and go for a cruise. A morbid trip to Alton Towers. But yeah, in theory, you could do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's strange because there, there often are quite like strict regulations around sort of like people who died. I mean, they, they regulate how far down you can put the body. Uh, like coffin measurements, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite... And it, they don't even have to be in a coffin. You can literally just have a loose dead person in your car. Like, there's no... I mean, I'm sure you'd be pulled over by the police, but it, it's perfectly legal. Very crazy ideas running through my head. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ultimately, police will only really pull you over if your driver, if your driving catches their attention. So yeah. if you're driving around with a with a body sat next to you that's strapped in and not moving and you're just driving to the law chances are you won't get stopped. Yeah. I mean, I doubt many people are like tying their dead relatives to the, like, the back of a bike rack or anything. So <laughs> you probably aren't like, you probably aren't going to get pulled over. But if you do, it's going to take a lot of explaining. Like, why is there four dead bodies in your car? It's like, I'm just taking them to lunch, you know, just taking the family out. Be asking a lot of questions. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can imagine, imagine that. It's like, evening officer, is there anything I can do to help you? It's like, what the hell is that smell? Oh my god, are these people all dead? Like, yes. Just taking them out of oh. scroll. Oh my granddad's got my granddad had some great policing stories, but he never had that one. But this one this one did actually happen to me. I got home from shot I I I'd got home, walked up my drive, went into my porch, shut the front door, stood inside my porch, and I heard a car engine and I turned round and someone had reversed onto my drive, got out of their car and was rummaging in their boot. And then he saw me, got into his car and drove off very promptly. But how legal is it for you to par- to park on someone else's drive? I mean, you wouldn't think it is, but it is actually perfectly legal to do that. Um, 
and there's not much you can do about it. Uh, if you phone the council to try and get them to remove it, they're just going to tell you it's private property. They can only do that on public land. Um, you can The council can remove it off private property if they believe it to be abandoned, but that takes a lot of paperwork and it takes a long mm. time to sort of investigate it. By that point, you know, they, they probably would have left by then. Um, you find a lot of like holiday makers or like dodgy companies uh, near airports be like, oh, we'll park your car for you while you're on holiday and they'll just park it on someone's driveway, which will inevitably lead your car to get some kind of damage. I'm, I'm sure of it. But um, there was actually a case in March 2022 uh, reported in the Manchester Evening News uh, where a man had come home from work and it was just a Range Rover parked in his driveway and he called the police and they just basically said, yeah, we can't do anything about that. Sorry, mate. Um, and it was there for about a solid week because uh, they'd wow. gone on holiday. The only time you can call the police is if it's like, let's say it's your driveway and they've just parked like horizontally blocking you in because then that's obstructing access to the public highway and that is an offence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the police can take them then. Uh, but I would highly advise to anyone listening, uh, do not clamp or damage the car because that's, that, that's illegal. You get more yeah. trouble. You get in more trouble doing that than you would parking on someone's driveway, which is insane. I think you should have the right to do that personally, but like the right to clamp, not to park on people's driveway. <laughs> yeah, because it counts as criminal damage to the property, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like having grown up in the countryside. There may have been a certain amount of trespass in my past. You know, you, you're walking, you climb over a fence, you're walking through a field, you hear, "Oh, you get off my land," you start running, um, and it's fine. Until you damage, like when you barbed wire fences aren't as strong as they used to be, and you either that or I'm just getting fat. Um, so the, the wire starts to bend a little bit. Technically, that's criminal damage, and they can get and they can actually get you for that, right? Because trespass is a civil matter, and yeah. as long as you leave, it's not a problem. But if you've damaged the fence climbing into the field, then um, yeah, it's criminal damage. And less said anything about the pocket full of apples. Yeah, well, I mean that's a. You can legally just walk into someone's house if the front door's open. Um, although there are a few like minor technical things that can actually get you, uh, that can get you like arrested for it. Like for example, if I walked in and turn my lights on, that's theft because you're paying for the electricity costs. So yeah. you ever want to walk into someone's house and this is for everyone listening, uh, don't turn the lights on and make sure it's you know the front door's unlocked. You can just sit in people's houses to your heart's content until they ask you to leave. There was a few years ago, the British Museum, oh, it might be more than a few years ago, but the British Museum left a skylight open. Oh. And a, a group of urban explorers managed to uh, climb a fence, climb some scaffolding, and then actually get into the museum after hours, and security chased them out. And as they climbed down the scaffold and were jumping over the fence back the police the security said you need to wait for the police you've broken and entered they said no we trespassed you've asked us to leave we've left we've not done anything wrong yeah i um, see obsessed by those youtube videos you know where they just like break into like abandoned water parks and then i realized yeah. slightly immoral so i'll probably stop watching because i'm giving them money but uh yeah i mean they, they're entertaining to watch yeah urban urban exploration for, I, I quite like some of the urban exploration some some of the buildings are just creepy that leads me off onto another rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so moving on. What were the unlawful laws of the Integrum? Integnum. Tegnum. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, so that's when Oliver Cromwell... Oh, Again? That's oh. When, yeah. 
that's when he sort of like overthrew the king um, and he'd passed a law to abolish uh, the monarchy. However, obviously to pass a law, you need royal assent. It's like the final stage of passing a law. Uh, yeah. So the law to abolish the monarchy didn't have any royal assent. Um, I think included in that law was a law to abolish the royal assent, but because it couldn't get any royal assent, it didn't become law. So it's sort of like a it's a difficult situation for him. I'll give him that. But all the 900 plus laws passed in that time period, uh, all of them are completely like void. Then they they're not they're not legal because none of the laws passed had any royal assent. Um, but just like on an interesting kind of side note, if they were passed, uh, if they are declared legal ever point, uh, that would technically make uh, whoever's king of England uh, punishable by death because the act to abolish the monarchy said that anyone who claims to be the king of England is accused of high treason, which is at the time had punishable by death. I'm not sure whether it still does. It probably doesn't. Um, no. Yeah, but there you go. King Charles the third. King Charles the third. Sorry, um, punishable by death. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and we've got legal precedent for it now as well, haven't we? I mean, Charles the first. Exactly. Was, uh, tried for treason against his uh, tri- high treason against the crowd against the nation. Yeah. About uh, Charles the first and Oliver Cromwell, I recently found out. And this is someone who just came into where I work. She was just talking and then she went, oh, you know that bridge over there is where they captured the king. And I was like, what king? What are you talking about? Apparently, there's a big bridge near where I live that had like a massive battle in the Civil War and they captured the king. I think he got out. But I literally, I never knew that. And I I go there like every day. So I could have walked on the ground where King Charles I was captured. All right. I'm trying to remember my um, my my Civil War knowledge is a bit basic. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move away from crimes just for a moment. Let's talk about the judiciary system. Is it, per, is it true that is, you can arrest and juries or imprison the jury? Uh, it was true for a certain amount of time. Essentially, James I, when he came into power, him, the Lord Chancellor, and a few of the others, like higher ups in the judiciary, they decided that, you know, it's okay if the jury, defi- if the jury decides someone's guilty. That's okay. We're going to listen to you. That's perfectly fine. However, if they decide someone's not guilty and the judge thinks, oh, maybe they are, or they just have like a feeling or they don't like the person pretty much. That, that's what the essence of the law is. If, they, if the courts didn't like the person, then they could declare that, in fact, they were guilty, even if the jury decided they were, which is obviously against the Magna Carta, um, with one of the judges at the time actually declaring the Magna Carta as the Magna Fata. Uh, in to his like just disregard for it <laughs> and there's actually a really popular case uh, about Penn and Mead uh, William Penn and William Mead uh, for some reason it's called Bushel's case I'll get onto that part but um, essentially they were two Quakers and they went to go preach on like a Sunday morning whenever it was and they found that the doors were padlocked shut, shut. and so they preached to the masses there were 300 people there and um, they got arrested because it was against the law to uh, preached to anyone who was in a group of over five people in public, unless you were the Church of England. Uh, so they were arrested for that. And then they go into court and the, the judge tells them to take the hats off. Uh, and then when they actually do take the hats off, um, the judge is like, you're not allowed to do that. That's that's horrible. And then they find him uh, for taking, for basically doing what he'd said. So clearly there was already some kind of like disfavor from the judge towards Penn and Mead. 
Hmm. Anyway, there's multiple scandals throughout the throughout the trial. I mean, he refused to tell William Meade what he was actually being charged for. He just stated it was common law. And when pressed, he just went, oh, I don't know. You're basically just a bad person. That's why I'm doing it. Um, and when the jury were asked to deliberate, uh, they said that they only found him guilty of like simply standing on the street. And then he, the, the judge sent them back out again. Uh brought them back in and then they declared that William Penn was guilty and that William Mead was not guilty. And the judge still did not like this verdict. And so what he did was he ordered them to stay in the court overnight without I think it was meat, fire, food, or drink. Uh, and so they were just stranded there and they weren't allowed any sort of like food, drink, uh like basically they weren't allowed anything. They were locked in prison, uh, is what they were until they returned the next morning. And then when they did return the next morning, uh, they still declared that they weren't guilty. So what the judge did was he fined all of the jury members £40 and then imprisoned them because they obviously weren't able to pay £40 at the time. Yeah. Um, he also fined William Penn and William Mead £40. Now, luckily, this is a bit off topic now, uh, William Penn's father was very like a very, very wealthy man. So he paid for William and uh, William and Meade's sort of fines. Uh, and he'd actually given the king a large amount of money. So when William Penn's father died to repay the debts um, that he owed to William Penn's father, the king gave William Penn a large estate in New Jersey in America. And so William Penn sailed over there and he established this new big piece of land that he'd got as Sylvania, which is Latin for woods. Uh, and the king aptly named it Pennsylvania in honour of William Penn's father, who was also named William Penn. Um, so that's where you get the state Pennsylvania from, just like a weird history link. I've always wondered, genuinely, I've always wondered that. I've never got around to looking it up. I'm, so, wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird piece of history, isn't it? yeah. Yeah, I'll put, pop that one away for a rainy day. Like I said, the amount of random stuff I've picked up, that, that I'll pop that one away. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> bizarre. Have you ever um, have you ever looked at the stories around the one of my ancestors, the Hanging Judge uh, Jeffries, in the Monmouth Rebellion? Um, some of the stuff he he some of the crime, uh, trials he carried out down in the West Country. I'm not off the top of my head, but I am familiar with the Monmouth Rebellion. I found that quite interesting to be honest. I went to the yeah. Tele- and he was telling us all about how, like, um, when they actually went to the head, uh, was it James Monmouth, the guy? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. All the women who were at the beheading were just, like, swooning over him because apparently he was, like, really attractive at the time. And they actually, this is what the beef eater said. I've looked this up and I can't find any historical backing for this. So they might just be saying this to, like, sort of make tourists think it's interesting. But he said that once they beheaded him, they'd realise that as he was the son of a king, never mind he was illegitimate, he needed a portrait. And so they sewed his head back onto his body and put a yeah. did a portrait of his dead body. Yeah, no, it's a, a, as, as far as I know, that's a true story as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, some, they just had, they hadn't thought about it until after it was too late. But uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story that the uh, one of the rebels was a famous runner, and so Judge Jeffries said, that's no problem. We'll, uh, we'll let fate decide your guilt. We will tie you to this horse and allow and set you to run across the moors. And if you outrun the horse, 
we will give you your freedom or transportation one of the two either way it was better than the alternative was execution and so he ran and he ran and the horse ran and ran and eventually he the horse tied before he did and so he presented himself back to judge jeffries and said i outran the horse he went mm, take his head <laughs> yeah i mean i actually the only this is a big piece of information i know it's not big at all i don't know i just picked it up um horses are the only animal that can sort of go toe-to-toe with humans in endurance running because they're just built for running and we're the only animal that sweats every other animal on the planet like pants that's when you know it's like dogs panting when it's hot we're the only yeah. ones that sweat so that's why we when we're running we can cool ourselves down whereas they all need to stop and pant which i don't know i just find that interesting i don't know why horses don't have to pant but they're just built for running anyway but i think the longer you increase the distance um, the more likely a human is to win. Now I kind of want to see a human race an ostrich. Ostrich, <laughs> I think they tire after about two miles, though, I reckon. This has been really interesting. I've, I've really enjoyed this. But um, could you tell everyone, remind everyone else, uh, remind our listeners uh, the title of your book. Uh, it's, it's out any t- any day soon, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so it's coming out on the 4th of May, Thursday the 4th of May. Uh, and there's actually five books, so they're all pretty much titled the same. Uh, it's Bizarre Laws and Curious Customs of the UK, uh, with one of them's called Bizarre Laws of the UK for Kids. Uh, so there's five main books. Uh, one of them is the big compendium, which is all three volumes. Uh, three of them are volume one, two, and three, which just like short-term versions, because I recognise like an 800-page book is way too much for some people. Um, yeah. And uh, there's also a kid's version, which mainly just gets rid of a lot of the gorier details, uh, which are mainly found in the Tudor periods because obviously they are but yeah that that one's just called bizarre laws for kids yeah and uh we'll um we'll get it up on the history hack bookshop as well so uh that way podcast will get a tiny slice of the money you'll get a bigger slice than if it goes through uh, a certain rainforest named book set bookseller and uh they can't use the money for evil allegedly <laughs> i mean we've we've only we've covered what t- 10 random obscure laws that there yeah. the book is crammed full of some really interesting stuff it, like, um, literally in the book, all of these, what we've discussed is like a page and there's like 800 of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, from I, I started reading through it to do the prep and there was just so many. When you sent me the list and said, uh, you can try and come up with a question from these. Like, OK, because I'm going to be reading this forever because I'm loving it. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> and I do like an obscure law. <laughs> oh, actually, um, before we go, it suddenly popped into my head. Is this is it legal to still shoot a Welshman over the border with a longbow? It's not, and it's actually a myth. I don't think there's any actual factual backing of that law existing. I think it's always mm. it's just always in those uh those like strange laws of the UK YouTube videos, you know, like the top ten ones. I don't yeah. think you are able to do that, unfortunately. Because there was a thing in the uh, there was a Sunday program I watched in the nineties <clears throat> when I was younger. Um, <laughs> Uh, they did a section called Breaking the Law, and there was like walking a goose over London Bridge, and or and I think it was being Welsh in Chester after mid after dark or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, the obscure laws are still on the on the on the statute book. Apparently, most of them are true. Like handling a salmon su- suspiciously, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I do believe that's down to some kind of like trade laws, though, um, because they were like I don't want to say fake salmon, but they weren't like real or proper past regulation salmon so it's you can't actually get arrested for it obviously but yeah 
it does sometimes when you read when you see what some of the obscure laws are you think what the hell happened here for you to have to have come up with a legislation on this <laughs> you read you read the facts from like the cases and it's like how has this happened like how is this actually a real like the selling your wife's thing the guy sold his wife for half a pint of gin how, why has he actually done that mm. Yeah, well, you never met my ex-wife. Um, <laughs> or um, the other one was uh, the there was a woman who was executed for she was arrested for cheating on her husband. She denied it. He denied that it was true. She was executed. She um, was pronounced dead. They took the body away and we're going to have a wake. And she woke up in the pub. Oh. Apparently, she'd. Um, during the hanging, she'd gone, um, she passed out and the doctor mispronounced her as dead. And so the sheriff said, we're going to hang her again because clearly she's not dead. And uh, the, ju- the justice came out and said, well, actually, she was pronounced, she was hung until dead. She was pronounced dead. We cannot arrest her and try her for the same crime again. And so, um, but she had to remarry her husband because they were married till death do she de- until death do they part. And of course, she'd been dead, so she had to remarry. But uh, otherwise, they, she was all fine. Oh, I didn't know that. That's an interesting, interesting bit. Yeah. Um, I can't remember any of the details, like the woman's name, but I, I know it was in Scotland somewhere. <laughs> too late to edit the book, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have fit right in. Uh, save, it, save it for a pub quiz or uh, moments like this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But yeah, if you want, if you want to come back and do some more of these, uh, you'd be more than welcome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's like we could do eighty of these probably with the amount of stuff that's actually in the book. Absolutely, yeah. We could try and do a theme one. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll just wrap this up. But yeah, um, thanks very much for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me. Our incredible guests give us forty-five minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack, or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.